How are you? You come up to talk to everybody? No. Bye. What's that? She might have. I was waiting. Preach it. Well, thank you, Matt, for doing the announcements this morning. There's a, you know, it's, this is an exciting time of year. Uh, for me personally, I love this time of year. I love the weather changes. I love, we went out fishing the other day, and we went up uh, to Clifton Forge area, and we went in this back road, and the leaves are falling, and we all kind of got excited because the leaves are changing. Noah and I had a debate. We were working on the PowerPoint, and uh, we were debating on if it was too early to put fall um, you know, backgrounds up there or not. And he said, no, it's, it's time. Let's, let's do it. I, I, I resisted. I still, I still was like, not sure. I think, uh, I think maybe next week we'll start doing the fall colors, but it's a, it's a beautiful time of year. It's, we got a lot of stuff going on the, you know, the, the couch drive. Uh, I really want to emphasize this. This is an opportunity, you know, when, when I got here, when I first started coming here, the, uh, you know, part of the, the discussion as I interviewed was about outreach. We, everybody said, we're hungry to get out. We're hungry to go serve the community. Well, here's your opportunity. Here's an opportunity for you to give back. Dig in those, go through your attic. Get those coats. You know, even the ones that were from the 70s, they're back in style. Get them. Dig them out. Let's, let's, let's hang these up. Let's, let's get these going. 200 is a small goal. I think, I think we can do more than that. But I wanted to get a reasonable goal, a smart goal, so I, I figured, you know, 200 is a good goal. One of the things, you know, you can do is you can go to thrift stores. Go, go, um, go check out the thrift stores around. As you go into Roanoke, there's a number of them. Go grab the thrift store and buy a dozen of them. There's all kinds of ways you can do it. The fall uh, sales are going on. Pick them up cheap. Okay? We can do this. There's a lot of things we can do. And this is one step toward getting out of the community and making a difference in our, in our community. Not only just Dolly Ann, but the rescue mission and anybody else that needs help. So uh, the hangers are just a reminder. I know they're, they're, you know, they're kind of silly, but they're, you know, it's just a reminder. Put it at home, hang it up so you always remember. You know what? I've got to get coats. You know, I've got to pick some more up. I think, uh, I think we can do a tremendous help in our community. So that's my, that's my plug for the today. Um, uh, but let's get into our message. We're going through Nehemiah chapter 9 today. And, you know, we're, we're almost to the end. We've only got a couple more sermons on Nehemiah. Then we're getting into our new series. And that'll be a surprise. We'll, we'll see. You'll have to show up on that first day of the new series to find out what it is. So come. It'll be an exciting series. So, so come and, and continue to, to dig in. To the Word of God together. So, Nehemiah chapter 9, uh, we're not going to, it's a long mess, it's a long chapter, so we're not going to get into the whole thing. We're not going to read it all today, but definitely read it. It's a beautiful, um, a beautiful chapter to read. Now, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, there's, well, years ago, there was a, uh, a conference, a comparative religion conference that was going on, and, and, and during this conference, there was a, a debate that went on. And this debate was, was there's, this discussion was about the uniqueness of Christianity. The uniqueness of Christianity. What, what made Christianity so different? So, so these scholars and these theologians started debating and discussing things and, and talking about all different aspects of Christianity. 
One of them was the incarnation, you know, God in human form. So they, they discussed that, and one person was like, well, how about the incarnation? How about God coming to human form? Maybe that's uniqueness. Another guy responded, well, no, hold on. There's other religions that teach that same thing, that God came in human form. Okay, so that can't make Christianity unique. Well, what about, uh, what about the resurrection? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of the dead. How about that? How about, maybe that's what makes Christianity unique. And he said, no, because other religions have talked about people raised from the dead. So, so in, their, in their scriptures, in their view, there's testimonies of that. So what, what makes Christianity different? So C.S. Lewis rocked, walked in the room, and he, and he heard this discussion. He said, well, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? And they said, well, we're, we're comparing. The, you know, we're talking about the uniqueness of Christianity. C.S. Lewis says, oh, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. It's simple. As he answered, the room fell quiet. Lewis continued that Christianity uniquely claims God's love comes free of charge, no strings attached. Free of charge. See, the Buddhists, for example, they have an eightfold path to enlightenment. They have to go through eight stages to gain enlightenment, to, to reach nirvana, to reach uh, their version of heaven. The Hindus believe in karma. Everything you do, or, or, or what you experience today is a direct result of what you've done in the past. So, so there's a connection there. It's about being good or, or working and, and producing good karma. The Jewish law implies that God requires people to, uh, to do certain things, to, to abide by the law for God to accept them. And even the Islamic God is a God of judgment, not love. That you, you, have to, you live to appease God. At the end of the discussion, everybody agreed. You know what? Lewis had a point. Lewis had a very interesting point. It is grace. It, Christianity is the only one that dares to proclaim God's love being unconditional. God's love being completely unconditional. That unconditional, unconditional love is called grace. See, we, we as Christians, we boldly proclaim that grace really has pres- very little to do with us. It has everything to do with God. Very little to do with us, but a, a tremendous amount of who God is. It's not about our inner resolve. It's not about us uh, you know, fitting in and doing a certain thing or being a certain way for us to be accepted by God. Rather, grace is all about God and God freely giving us the gifts of forgiveness, mercy, and love. It's a free gift from us. It's grace. As we learned last week, God's people were told to stop mourning and start rejoicing. So they, they, started, they were excited about what was going on. And, and, they were, and they were, at first they were mourning, but then Nehemiah said, no, rejoice. Let's celebrate. Now it's a month later. Things have changed. The, the branches, the ceremony is down, over. The tents are, are dismantled. That's over with. God's Word is given a central attention once again. No triumphant phrase. Now it's just repentant sorrow. Now the, the ceremony, the party is over. Now they're getting into the Word of God and it's starting to, to really sink into them. Now they have this sorrow. See, in Nehemiah 8, focused on God's Word as it was read, interpreted, and apply, applied. Chapter 9, the people responded in prayer 
and genuine sadness because they weren't following God. They, they're because of their sins against God. So now, the, now things have shifted. Now they're, they're saddened because of their sin. After a thrilling encounter with God, which caused them to break into celebration, now the believers come face to face with their own depravity. Now they're faced with their sins. This prayer is a brilliant mosaic of biblical quotations, recollections, images, and phrases. See, the Levites were brilliant writers. They knew Scripture by heart. And this confession, this this chapter 9 is a confession that accurately expresses the disappointment with themselves, but their confidence in God. In other words, this declaration of guilt has two elements. They confessed who God was, and they confessed their sins. They confessed who God was and confessed their sins. Jehovah God is the main subject of this chapter and who He is, what He's done for the people, and what the people must do for Him. This prayer reviews the history of Israel and and reveals the majesty of God and the depravity of man. See, Israel responded to God's kindness. His great kindness, we see that in verse 17. His great mercy in verse 31. His great goodness, verse 35, with great provocations that resulted in great distress. It's interesting that Israel's three, throughout the Old Testament, there's three major, what they call national prayers. National prayers of, and of Israel. And, and it's interesting to see that it's actually, the three of them are Ezra 9, Daniel 9, and this one, Nehemiah 9. Those are considered the three national prayers of Israel. Beyond, the, behind these prayers is the promise of 2 Chronicles 7.14. You might remember that verse. Remember when I preached, and I came here and I preached about revival. This is the verse I used. This is what I preached on. And if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven Forgive their, forgive their sins, and heal their lands. So behind those national prayers is that promise that God has for them. The church can learn a lot from the experience of Israel. They can, we can learn a lot from their history and, and their life and, what they, and their experiences if we were willing to humble ourselves and receive the truth. Today, we're going to, uh, as we examine this prayer, we're going to notice three things about God. One, we're going to look at the greatness of God. We're going to look at the goodness of God. And we're going to look at the grace of God. The greatness of God, the goodness of God, and the grace of God. So let's start with the first one. Let's look at the, the, great, uh, the greatness of God. See, the Feast of Tabernacles has ended. The people are lingering and they want to hear more of the Word of God. They want to to hear the preaching and the teaching. The feasting has turned to fasting as the Word of God brought conviction to the people and the people started confessing their sin. See, in most churches today, if we were to do a six-hour service, three hours of preaching, I could do it if you want me to. No? Okay. I can do it if you want, but three hours of preaching, three hours of prayer. If, we got, if, if the churches out there start doing a six-hour service, there'd be resignations handed out. 
Jewish people in that day, they're beginning a new life. This is a new life for them and their city. Many years ago, churches often have two-week evangelistic events. Years before that, 30s, 40s, 50s, there was month-long, six-week evangelism uh, programs and evangelistic efforts that were going on, tent revivals all around. Billy Sunday, is, they, would, they would spend hours and hours and spend all, they would take weeks to do these events. Genuine worship involves many elements. Genuine worship involves hearing and studying the Scriptures. It involves praising God. It involves prayer, confession of sin, and separating ourselves from what displeases God. Removing ourselves from sin. See, sin is what displeases God. So if we remove ourselves from that sin, that's an act of worship. And each of these elements that I just listed are recorded in this paragraph. See, God's greatness is seen in the fact that he receives our worship. The fact that he receives our worship itself is amazing. It's it's one of the key things that make God so great. Worship involves the word of God. And from the word of God reveals the God who is in the word. We we. As we study the Word of God, we see His promises. We see His character. We see His personality. We see His love. A.W. Tozer wrote a great book. Highly recommend this book, The Knowledge of the Holy. It's written in the 40s, or 50s. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that is unworthy of him. The better we know the scriptures and respond to them, the better we know God and become more like him. Israel was chosen by God to receive his law and to know his will. Any worship service that ignores the scriptures is not going to receive a blessing from God. In the scriptures, God speaks to us and we, and in prayer and praise, we speak to him. When we do our worship time, when Jan sings and, we, and the choir sings, and we're praising God with song, that is our opportunity to lift up the name of God. That is our opportunity to, to shout because of how great He is and His love for us. That is our opportunity to, to communicate to God how wonderful and awesome you are. Philippians 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 9 and 11 9 through 11, tells us that God's name is to be exalted above all names, above every name, and we should honor it as we praise Him. The people separated themselves from the world as they drew near to God. As they drew closer to God, they, they pushed away the, the pagan lifestyles. The nation of Israel was chosen by God to be a special, a special people. We see that in Leviticus chapter 20. It says, you are holy because... Uh, holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. See, he, to- he took Israel and he, and he, and he made it the- his own for a reason. The Apostle Peter applies these words to Christian life also in First Peter chapter 1 and also in chapter 2. See, the people took time to confess their sins and seek the Lord's forgiveness. See, the annual day of atonement has passed. 
They knew they needed renewal from the Lord. And they were seeking their, their, their sins. They, they were seeking what they were, they were being convicted. They were, talk, they were thinking about what they've done. Now, I want to take a side note. Don't let self-examination go to the point where you ignore the Lord. We can sit there and concentrate so much on the things, our sins, that we actually ignore the Lord. Rather, we must be honest with our dealings with Him. We need to be honest in our prayers. We need to be honest about our sins. We need to be honest with God about our sins and repent of them. Whenever you see sin or failure in your life, immediately look by faith to Christ. The more you look at yourself, the more discouraged you'll become. Focus on His perfection, not our own imperfections. Focus on the grace of God. God's greatness is also seen in the fact that He is God alone. And we see this in verse 6. The nation of Israel was surrounded by idolatry and a, and a, uh, a degrading lifestyle that was associated with pagan, li- uh, pagan worship. One of Israel's ministries... And the, the reason why God chose them was the, and part of that was to be a light to the world, to be a light to the other nations, to be a light to everyone, to be able to, to be there to communicate God's love, to be an example. Is there to bear witness of Jehovah, the one true living God? See, in a pagan lifestyle, there was millions of gods, lots of gods. And Israel was to be that light. Another evidence of God's greatness is the fact that He created the universe. And we see that also in verse 6. And we know that from Genesis 1-1 that God created the heavens and the earth. And that can only be applied to the God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To know that our Father in heaven is the creator of all things as a source of great strength and great peace. It reminds us who He is. He's not, just a, he's not a God that abandons us. He's a God that created everything. And, and think about who he is creating the universe. I love looking at the stars. I love seeing the, the pictures of nebulas and, and, uh, and all these things in deep space and the Hubble telescope. It's beautiful. And you know what it reminds me of every single time? How amazing God is. Because if he can create that. He didn't just create our earth. He created everything. God's greatness is also seen in the fact that He cares for His creation. He didn't simply make everything and then just disappear and let us live. He cares about us. He cares about His creation. He's involved in the affairs of His people and His creation. We, in Matthew 10, He sees when a, a sparrow falls. Psalms 147, when He hears when a raven cries out for food. In verse 4, we see as he, he has the stars all counted and named. In Luke 12, he even knows the number of hairs on your head. He cares for his people. He cares for his creation. In Psalm 145, 16, it says, You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. That's powerful. He cares about his creation. In our worship, it's wise to begin with the greatness of God. If we, if we focus too much on what He gives or what we want Him to do, we'll find our hearts becoming selfish. Sincere worship honors God in spite of the circumstances or feelings or desires. 
So when we come to church and we want to worship or when we're out there in the community or we're sitting at home opening our Bibles, it's got to come from the heart. It's got to be honest, sincere worship about who he is. The second thing we learned that we talked about is the goodness of God. We're going to look at the goodness of God. This prayer releases or rehearses the history of Israel and revealing God's goodness to his people despite their repeated failures. The word give in this chapter, if you look at the King James, the word give happens over 19, or 16 times in different forms. Give is a key to this chapter. From, from our God is indeed a giving God who delights in meeting the needs of our people. He's a giving God. God gave Israel land. He gave them law. He gave them the ministry of the Spirit. He gave them food and water. He gave them victory against their enemies. What more could they want? He's a giving God. Centuries before, Moses warned the people not to forget God, whether in his gracious hand or his loving hand of discipline. Don't forget God. And he warned them. Unfortunately, the nation didn't thank God in the times of blessing. But, and they were quick to turn to God when things started getting tough. But let's not judge them too quickly or too harshly because you know what? People do that today, don't they? How many times do, when things are going fine, we forget about God. We stop praying. We stop reading our Bibles. We stop coming to church because things are great. But then somebody, something happens. I've met people that had little interest in God, but then all of a sudden their family member gets sick. Their child gets sick. Their loved one gets sick. Or they go through some financial hardships. Something happens. And what do they do? They don't understand why this is happening to them and they cry out for God and beg help. Happens all the time. I counsel people all the time and I hear the same thing. You could trace this tragic pattern in every stage of Israel's history. See, we see His goodness when we see God formed in the nation. It was an act of pure grace that God came from heaven and reached out to Abram and revealed Himself to him. See, Abram was an idolater in a pagan city. But God saw him and picked him, chose him. And that's an act of greatness. Abraham had an occasional lapse of faith over hundreds, you know, hundreds of years, but he trusted the Lord and walked in obedience to God's will. His obedience was evident at the altar when Isaac was, was to be sacrificed, and he showed his obedience to him. God's covenant was the basis for all that God did with and for Abraham and his descendants. It was God's purpose that all the world would be blessed through Israel. And he did this through sending his son, Jesus Christ. In the land of Egypt, the nation multiplied greatly and, God, and God's power all over, were shown all over the pagan gods and experienced deliverance. They, the people experienced deliverance from the bondage by the mighty hand of God, they witnessed these things. They witnessed the, the leaving of Egypt. God led his people day and night, giving them food and water and, and everything they needed. He also gave them the, the holy law to abide by so they can live. Did you know if we lived by the Ten Commandments, if all of us lived by the Ten Commandments, life would be a lot easier? 
He gave them the law so that civil and personal religious life, they would know the will of God and how they are to live. The Sabbath was given as a special sign between God and the people of Israel. It, there's no evidence to show that it was given to any other pagan country or anything. It was Israel that the Sabbath was given. In Nehemiah, verses, in, in, in chapter 9, 16 through 18, Nehemiah tells us how the nation responded to all that God has done for them. They refused to bow to his authority. They refused to listen to his word. They refused to obey his will. At Kadesh Berea, they tried to appoint a new leader to take them back to Egypt. God freed them, and they're trying to get people to take them back. When Moses was on the mountain with God, the people made and worshipped idols. And Moses interceded for the people, and God pardoned them. That's how they repaid God, by disobedience. How could these people turn their backs on God after all he's done for them? We see God's goodness when God led the nation. We see that in verses 19 through 22. During the 40 years of Israel's discipline in the wilderness, the old generation has passed away and the new generation was born. But God never forsook his people. He led them by cloud and fire and he taught them the word, provided them with the necessities of life and gave them victories over their enemies. He never forsook them. God keeps his promises and fulfills his purpose. If we obey him, we share in that blessing. When we, when we follow God and we obey Him, we receive those blessings. But if we disobey Him, we miss the blessing. But God's purposes will be glorified. God's purposes will happen. The church will grow. The video we, I played in the beginning, right when worship was just starting, five million churches, the church is strong. The, God is going to continue bringing people to Christ. It's a matter of whether we want to be part of that or not. Do we want to obey him and be part of that? Or do we want to disobey him and miss out on the blessings? We see God's goodness when God disciplined the nation. God promised to multiply his people and he kept his promise. He also promised to give them good land and he kept that promise. Under the leadership of Joshua, the army of Israel invaded Canaan, conquered the land, and reaped its wealth. It was God who gave them victory and enabled them to possess the cities, houses, land, and wealth of the land of Canaan. The land was fertile. And, it, and it, Israel became nourished and satisfied, and, and that led to their downfall. They ignored Moses' warnings. Israel delighted themselves in the great goodness that God was giving them, and they, and they did not delight themselves in the Lord. They focused on the material things, the things that they were receiving in this beautiful land and all the blessings, but they neglected the Lord. Like the prodigal son, they wanted the father's wealth, but they didn't want the father's will. Once in the land, Israel enjoyed rest during the days of Joshua and the elders who had served with him. But when those godly leaders were gone, a new generation turned away from God. God disciplined them, so they cried out for help. And God raised up deliverers to rescue them. Then they would walk 
They would walk in God's ways for a time, lapse back into sin, and the cycle would start all over. Against the dark background of Israel's unfaithfulness shines the bright light of God's faithfulness. God is faithful, and he fulfills his promises. When Israel obeyed him, he was faithful to bless them. When they disobeyed him, he would discipline them. When they asked for mercy, he gave them forgiveness. God is willing to give his people many privileges, but he will not give them the privilege of sinning and having their own way. God's purpose, our purposes are more important than our pleasures. He will accomplish his purposes even when, it makes, even when he has to discipline us to do it. It is not easy being disciplined by God. He will put you through the ringer like a good father would, righting our wrongs. Israel's sins finally became so disgusting to God that he decided to dis- dis- discipline them away from their own land. He actually took them out of Canaan and took them to another people. He used the Assyrians to destroy Jerusalem or destroy the northern kingdom, and he brought the Babylonians to destroy Judah, the southern kingdom. And in, in destroying Jerusalem and the temple, it was, through, it was as though God himself said to the people, you were enjoying living like a heathen? Then fine. I'm going to let you live like a heathen. And he took him out of the land, the promised land. He took away the blessing. And the nations, 70 years of captivity in Babylon taught them to appreciate the blessings that they had took for granted. God's chastising is as much an evidence of his love as his bountiful supply. We should be grateful when God loves us enough to discipline us. It is hard to be disciplined by God. It is hard. I've been through discipline by God. I asked him to discipline me. I knew I was not walking a a godly walk at the time. And I asked him, Lord, correct my way. Help me do this. Because I know that if if I try to do it on my own, I can't. And I begged him to help me. And he disciplined me. Made me rely on him. Changed my life. It's hard being disciplined by God. But I'll tell you, personal testimony it is far greater to come out the other end and receive his blessings far greater we should be grateful that god loves us so much that he does not want us to be spoiled children he doesn't want his father the father never is as close to us as he is when he's disciplining us and working in our lives and the third thing we're going to talk about today is the grace of god the grace of God. God was good to his people when his people were not good to him. He sent them prophets to teach them, to warn them, but the nation refused to listen. He sent them the word, but they refused. He was merciful to forgive them when they cried out for help. And it was, it was, he was long-suffering with them when they repeatedly rebelled against his word. They kept rebelling against him, but yet he loved them and he still gave them grace. Still had that remnant, that that group of people that still he fulfilled his promises through. He was merciful to forgive them. He could have destroyed the nation and started over, but he didn't. He graciously spared them. It was his mercy 
Even though they didn't deserve it, they rebelled against God, but he still forgave them and blessed them and, and was in their lives. They, he gave them what they didn't deserve. We're going to watch a, a quick video of a testimony of somebody that, that in society's standards, this, this lady, Cynthia, does not deserve grace. When you hear the story, you're going to hear, you're gonna, you know, when you first hear the story, how many times have we judged people that same way? Oh, you know what? They need to be punished. They, they need to be reprimanded. They don't deserve grace. I want you to think about that. And we can look at her and listen to her story and say, you know, well, that's, that's her. I might deserve grace. None of us deserve grace. But it's a wonderful grace of God that we get it. So watch this video. For 365 days a year, for 15 years, I used meth on a daily basis. It destroyed my life, and along with that, the drug addiction came crime. I sold the drugs so I could make money to do the drugs. In and out of jail, getting busted for, for selling the drugs. And my last arrest was for um, manufacturing and distributing controlled substance, which was meth. And as I was in jail, I wasn't getting out. I was looking at some serious time in prison. I was in the jail cell, and this girl came into my cell, and she told me about a book that helped her. So I read a book. I read it for five hours straight through. And as I was reading it, something was happening on the inside of me. I was, I was starting to feel again. I was starting to think that maybe there was a hope for my life. After five hours, I shut that book. I got on my knees, and I got radically saved. I couldn't come out of my cell for 23 hours a day. So it was just me and the Lord reading the Word. I started seeing my life in the eyes of God. My heart was breaking for the sins that I had done. I did not know how to deal with them. So I literally took out a pad of paper and I started writing down the things that I did. But I was so guilty. I was so hurt for the things that I had done. I sat down with my lawyer one day and I just looked at him and I said, I have to plead guilty. I am guilty of all the charges plus hundreds more. And he said, okay, cut and dry case, yes ma'am. So my, my day in court happened. I uh, was sitting there in front of the judge. My attorney told me not to say anything about Jesus. Just as the DA goes to stand up to say she deserves prison, the judge stopped everything. She turned to me and she said, Cynthia, I want to see you succeed. She said, if you ever stand in front of me again, I am going to give you five years flat in prison. But if you come back in front of me in one year without any violations on your probation, then I'm just going to give you probation and I'm gonna let you live your life on the outside. You could have heard a pin drop in that courtroom. The DA's mouth flew open and I am just shaking my head, yes ma'am. And inside, I was so excited because if Jesus Christ's name couldn't be mentioned in that courtroom, nobody was gonna talk. After the judge gave me a second opportunity, I had to learn how to live life again. I go to apply for a job, so I go and tell them how good I am with people and what God has done in my life, and I'm good with money because I was a drug dealer. 
And I, that's how I got my first job. They actually hired me. Through that job, I learned how, how to work and how to have ethics and integrity and character and those types of things. After years of integrating and trying to find out who I was as an adult woman now, I always had a, a, a seat in my heart to go back into the jails and go back into the prisons. But because of my record, I mean, it was almost impossible. Nobody would let me back in. Finally, after, after 10 years, an opportunity opened up for me, and there was actually a full-time paid position for a, a female chaplain in the county jail, just like the one I was saved at. So now what I get to do every day, and simply because of God's grace, I get to go back into that jail every day with the keys in my hand, and I get to share the grace of God, just like he shared it with me. What a great testimony. Forgiveness, grace. You know, I love her story. I really do. She's a chaplain at the very jail that she was locked up at facing prison time. God's grace opened up the opportunity for her, blessed her, gave her uh, 10 years later after, after having a new life and learning how to be, have integrity and ethics, God put her in the very place she got saved to minister to the people that she used to hang out with. God is so good. It's amazing to see stories like this. She did not deserve forgiveness, but she received it. She didn't deserve a second chance, but she got it. She didn't deserve that great blessing, but she was given one. As the Levites prayed, they acknowledged the sins of the nation and God's justice in sending punishment. In verse 33, it says, In all that has happened to us, you have been just. You have acted faithfully while we did wrong. You notice that the Levites used the pronoun we instead of they. See, as they prayed, they identified with the nation acknowledged their own sin. Nehemiah had prayed the same way back in chapter 1. Remember that? He, he identified with the nation of Israel and the sins that they were doing. He was with them. It's easy to, to be convicted about other people's sins. But God forgives only when we repent and confess our own sin. It's so easy to look at other people and point out their sins. But God will, repent, will forgive you when you repent and confess yours. In the past, although the nation had enjoyed an abundance of blessings, they still sinned against God who had blessed them. Now those blessings had been taken away from them and they were back in the land and they could not enjoy the land. For everything they worked for has been given to somebody else. See, the Persian king was still under control. The Persian king still was in control of everything, even their own bodies. The Persian king ruled the land. So even though they were back in, the, back in Judah, back in Jerusalem, they weren't truly free. When God had been their king, the Jews enjoyed a great blessing. But when they rebelled against God, against his will, they found themselves enslaved to kings who had no compassion for him. The Levites acknowledged God's greatness and goodness. And now, on the basis of his grace, they asked for a new beginning. They were crying out to God, asking for a new beginning. They were confessing their sin. They're saying, Lord, I'm so sorry for our sin. And they are genuinely 
genuinely repenting. They couldn't change their, uh, who they were serving, but they could surrender themselves to the greatest master of them all, which is God himself. And they're asking God, the king of kings, for help. Throughout the history of Israel, there was always a remnant of faithful people who trusted God and who obeyed his will. There was always a, a group of people throughout all that time and all those different things that happened, all the discipline, there was still a group of people who were faithful and loved the Lord and prayed for God to fulfill his promises. This believing remnant was God's lifeline to maintain the ministry of Israel. That remnant, that group of people that were still faithful is how God continued to build the nation of Israel again. They kept that light of faith and hope burning in the land because of them. God was able to fulfill his promises and bring the Savior to the world. The Jews in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day were a part of that remnant and God heard their prayers. We have a, our God is a glorious God. He's a great God. He's a good God. And he's a graceful God. He's powerful, faithful, and concerned with the needs of his people. He's a pardoning God. He forgives our sins. When we're faithful and just, or he is faithful and just, and we're, when we get on our knees and we ask for forgiveness and act those acts of humility. And he's long-suffering when we sin. And he disciplines us when we rebel. He's a generous God who gives far more than we ever deserve. He's a God who keeps his promises even when we're unfaithful. Surely this God deserves our loving obedience. Perhaps the time has come for us to have a new beginning. Maybe it's time for us to confess our sins and let him heal our lands. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for these, uh, this example of, of the, the hearts of the, of the people of Israel, their, their love for you and their, and their genuine humility before you, Lord. Thank you so much for that example, Lord. And, and I ask you, Lord, to help us with humility. It's a hard thing to, to put aside our feelings and our, our, our desires and humble ourselves before, before you. But Lord, it's a heart issue. And Father God, I ask you to help us, each and every one of us here, to be willing to come forward and humble ourselves before you. And, and help us confess our sins. Reveal to us our sins so we know what to confess, Lord. We ask the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and help us be obedient and faithful to you not because we have to to earn our way but because of the love that we have for you because of our love for how great you are and how good you are and how graceful you are father god we ask you to continue to to bring us into the christ-like attitude and and have a heart like jesus as we go out in our community and we share the gospel give us a heart give us a heart to to confess our sins Give us a heart to be faithful and loyal to you. We love you, Lord. And we praise you. And we just want to serve you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.